to give him a high five and have a seat. Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome, aren't they cool? Let's give him a big round of applause. And uh, so cool. Good to see you this morning. And uh, I'm just uh, probably going to apologise ahead of time uh, for my voice. And uh, my voice has been playing up this week, all with all the smoke uh, and that sort of thing. So I feel like I've been sucking on a helium balloon. And uh, my voice has been going all funny, so I want to say that ahead of time and that sort of thing. But welcome to church. So good to see you. And it's always great uh, to be in God's house. And also, thank you last week, church. Uh, last week, we uh, packed in this service 220 hampers. But my understanding is that we've actually got 370 uh, ready to give out, which is awesome. Praise God. And so for people in need in the community, which is just brilliant, so uh, so good and uh, so grateful. And I'm sure that there's many uh, families at this time of year that will be one of the best presents that they get. So thank you so much, church. It was awesome. Big thank you to Shirley and the team as well uh, for doing such a great job. And uh, so good. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 16 to 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that you would help us to hear your voice and know your will and ways. I thank you and praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As many of you would know, this term we've been doing a series uh, called The Essentials and talking about some of the essential elements of the Christian faith, some of the more foundational elements of the Christian faith. One of the things I learnt as a Bible college lecturer was that very often we need to hear things more than once in order to be reminded of them or in order to actually get a true revelation of them. And so we've been sharing on some topics that I'm sure many of you have heard before, but we've been talking about these things in order for us to, uh, to realign and to recalibrate, and it's just good for us to continue to do uh, from time to time. And so uh, I want to talk to you today about a topic that really you cannot, if you're going to talk about essentials of the Christian faith, if you're going to talk about foundational elements of the Christian faith, I want to talk to you about something today that is absolutely indispensable, and that is actually the Word of God. And so I want to talk to you uh, about God's Word today. Now, uh, just like when we talked about the Trinity, uh, it is impossible to cover everything you need to know uh, in about 30 minutes. Uh, back when I was doing, uh, when I did a Bachelor of Theology degree, uh, to finish it off, I had to do uh, a report on uh, a thing called the Doctrine of the Word of God by a guy named Karl Barth. And he actually had volumes and volumes all talking about the Word of God. So literally, you could talk about the Word of God uh, for, you know, forever and a day. And so I will probably not cover everything that is uh, everything about God's Word. It's not possible to cover everything about God's Word in 30 minutes. But I want to talk about a number of things that are highlighted in that passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, which talk about some of the importance regarding the Word of God. And so today, I want to talk to you about a few things about the Bible or one way of putting it, the Bible is. And so five things that we can get from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 regarding God's Word. The first thing uh, that, I want to talk, uh, that I want to talk about, it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. 
Not just some. Not just our favorite bits. Not just the bits we put on fridge magnets. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The first thing about God's word is that God's word is infallible. It's infallible. God's word is true. A couple of years ago, I was watching a movie and it was called The Case for Christ. And it was talking about a man by the name of Lee Strobel, who was an atheist and was trying to disprove Christ and disprove Christ's claims and disprove the word of God. And so he actually went and studied and sought to try and disprove Christ's claims. But the more that he looked into it, the more that he realised that it couldn't be disproven. Till in the end, he actually gave his life and surrendered his life to Christ. And for the last nearly 40 years, he has been one of the great proponents of the Christian faith. He realised by looking into God's word that God's word is actually infallible. Interestingly enough, here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, when he says all scripture is useful, he's not actually talking about the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. He was actually talking about the Old Testament and talking about it's important, uh, how it is still important uh, in our lives. So we can see that God's word is actually infallible. Now, some people would argue, and uh, many people in society argue and debate on that point. And they kind of say, well, I've tried things that the scripture says and it didn't make sense. Or I tried things that the scripture says and didn't actually do what I, it didn't end up, the result wasn't what I thought it would be. But what I've learned is this. That God's word is infallible, but not always our interpretation is infallible. That actually most of the time the issue is actually not with God's word. The issue is actually regarding our interpretation. A uh, number of years ago, um, there was a young man who's actually preached at, he preached at Pimpman and did our night service once before. He used to live on the Gold Coast. His name is uh, Pastor Ben Peters. And I've known Ben since he was young. And so he was actually at one of our, he was actually at a conference uh, that I was running up in North Queensland. And he and some friends were so inspired by it that um, in the afternoon break, they were going down around the local lake and they were sharing their faith uh, with people that were there. And he was talking to uh, a young man and he's sharing his faith and he's talking to him about Christ and talking to him about Christianity. And the guy just, the kid just wouldn't believe him. And so Ben said to him, he said, what would it take for you to believe that, uh, believe in Jesus? And the kid said, well, didn't Jesus walk on the water? And he said, yes. And he said, well, why don't you walk on the water here? And they were at this lake, place called the Goose Ponds. And so my friend Ben thought, well, you know, the Bible says that Jesus walked on water. The Bible says that Peter walked on water. Then surely I'm going to be able to walk on water. And so he stood there and he was huffing and puffing. Don't know why he was doing that. It wasn't like he was walking on coals. And, he was, and then he started walking over to the lake and sank straight to the bottom. And then he gets up and the guy looked at him and he said, listen, if you believe in God that much, I'll come to church anyway. Uh, Praise God. And I remember talking to Ben later, and he goes, oh, I just didn't, oh, I don't know what's wrong. I didn't have any faith. And I said, no, mate, Jesus wasn't talking to you when he was talking about walking on the water. He was actually talking to Peter. That was a word from him. But basically what had happened, his interpretation of the Scripture actually led to the error. The error isn't actually in the Scripture. The error is very often in our interpretation. Uh, some people get a bit funny uh, regarding the Old Testament. Uh, about what parts apply to now and what parts don't. So you'll have on one extreme people that say that nothing of the Old Testament is applicable today. And then you'll have at the other extreme, which basically says that every part of the Old Testament is applicable today. But neither one of those things is correct. When you understand that actually the context of the scriptures 
then it actually makes a lot more sense. Let's think about Old Testament commands. There are some commands in the Old Testament which we had to obey in order to become ritually pure. So what that means is there were some things in the Old Testament that we needed to obey those things in order to be made right with God. There was a number of sacrifices that had to be made. There was a number of behavioural patterns that had to be adhered to in order for us to be made right with God. But who knows that through Christ, a lot of those commands regarding ritual purity, we don't have to obey anymore. So some of those behaviours, things like circumcision, praise God, (laughs) amen, (laughs) those things that were needed to actually become God's people, we don't actually need to do anymore because Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sins on the cross, amen. There's a second group of commands and they're regarding the commands governing a nation state. And so the nation state of Israel was a nation state. So there's a number of commands and punishments that needed to be adhered to for that nation state. But who, now, who knows now that God's people are not confined to one nation? That through, oh, not the political party, uh, but through Christ, that through Christ, that actually we are God's people amongst the nations and we're no longer a nation state. So some of those commands don't apply either. But there are some commands that still apply. And those are universal principles, things that the Old Testament says is wrong and the New Testament reinforces is wrong. And I don't want to go on a big debate or discussion about hermeneutics or anything like this. All I'm saying is this, the issue is not God's Word. The issue is actually our interpretation of God's Word because God's Word is infallible. All Scripture is useful. That's what the Scripture says. The second thing uh, about the Bible, it says all Scripture is given... By inspiration of God. It's given by inspiration of God. So the second thing about God's Word is God, God's Word is inspired by God. Now, some people believe that it can't be inspired by God because there were so many authors. There were 40 authors of the Bible and they were, in, and they were communicated through 66 books and letters. And so some people say, look, how could it possibly be God when there were so many different authors? But I think, but I'm of the opposite view. I don't think there's any one person who could fully communicate all of God. That literally, that there is not one person on the planet that has the full revelation of God and could be entrusted to communicate all the scripture. In fact, I think it's more an indication that it's divine inspiration. The fact that over hundreds of years, there's a uniformity in God's character. That over hundreds of years, that through a number of different witnesses, through a number of different scribes, the same themes actually keep coming through that. That there's actually no one person that actually has the whole counsel of God for themselves. In fact, any religious text that says this is that this thing is infallible and fully authoritative that only has one author I'm here to tell you that that is not true that actually that is more prone to error uh, than anything else the fact that we have a multiplicity of authors over a long period of time talking about the same things is an indication to me of God's divine inspiration that's a further evidence in fact I don't believe that there's any one person that has the character to be able to be trusted with all of God's word to themselves You know, there's two guys who were basically probably the most prominent authors in the scripture. One was Moses and the other person, uh, the other person was the Apostle Paul. And both of them had tremendous times of suffering and preparation to transform their character. And I actually believe one of the reasons why that is so is because God was going to entrust them with so much of the scripture. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about a thing called a thorn in his flesh 
where literally he had this thorn in his flesh, this element of suffering in his life that was just continuously there that he was unable to remove or get rid of. He prayed three times to the Lord and said to us three times for it to be removed. And then God, and then God said to him, look, my grace is sufficient for you. This is, a, this is actually uh, from me. And he says the reason is because of the surpassingly great revelations that you're having. So what that means, what does that mean? That he went through that element of suffering because of so much of the revelation, which is going to be, make up so much of Scripture. There's no one person that could possibly have ever been trusted to handle being able to deliver all of God's Word. In fact, there is only one person who actually is able to, and that's Jesus Christ himself, because he is the Word became flesh, the Bible says. And so we need to understand that God's Word is actually inspired uh, by God. The third thing that we can see in this passage, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Profitable for doctrine. So the third thing about God's word is that it is important. It is important. It is the final authority for all doctrine. In fact, um, when um, Martin Luther, one of the reasons when he started the Protestant Reformation, one of the reasons why he wanted to distance himself from the Catholic Church at the time because they had elevated their own teaching up to the level of the Word of God. And so they basically had, as far as being infallible, their own teaching alongside God's Word. And so he came out with the phrase called sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, basically saying there is only one thing that actually has the final authority on what is true, and that is actually God's word himself. And so we can see that it is the final authority regarding, uh, regarding doctrine. So what that means is that any kind of prophecy that you get, any kind of interpretation that you get, any word that you get, or we believe in those things, we believe in spiritual gifts, but the, but the reality is that regardless of any kind of spiritual gift, we are fallible, but God's word is not infallible. And anything that we get must be subservient to the word of God. I know one particular church denomination in America many years ago, they have elevated prophecy up to the level of the word of God. And so what that means is that they had basically said that any pro if someone gives you a prophecy, that that's binding. And people were controlling and manipulating people through prophecy. But that was erroneous. We believe in prophecy. We believe in all these things. But make no mistake, God's word is the highest authority. It is the ultimate arbiter regarding Christian doctrine. In fact, it's interesting, when Jesus, in, uh, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, how did he respond to him? Satan was tempting him. And then he uh, gave him a few commands and each time Jesus resisted him and he resisted him with what? The word of God. Regardless of what you were saying, the word of God says this. The word of God is the ultimate umpire. The word of God is the ultimate arbiter regarding uh, doctrine. It says in Acts chapter 17, it talks about these people called the Bereans. And the apostle Paul was teaching them about Christ and he was showing them from the scriptures how Jesus is actually the Christ, the Messiah. So that's interesting because the scriptures he was using was actually the Old Testament. But he was using the Old Testament as proofs that Jesus was the Messiah. And then it says in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 that the Bereans heard what he said, searched the scriptures for themselves and then came into agreement with him. I think that is a great sign of Christian maturity. That we don't need to be gullible for any kind of teaching. That we ourselves can go to the Word of God as well to make sure that things that we learn and things that we are taught are actually in line with God's Word. Because God's Word is the ultimate arbiter regarding Christian doctrine.
The fourth thing uh, regarding God's Word says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Scripture tells us the difference between right and wrong, between right and wrong. Now, it's interesting. Um, a number of years ago, um, you know, I don't know, have you ever read Scripture and then realised later on that maybe you interpreted it the wrong way? And so I was reading in Genesis chapter 1, and it talked about when God created the earth and he made seed-bearing seed plants. And he created these seed-bearing plants, and then he, uh, and he said to uh, Adam and Eve and all the animals, he said, these are for you to eat. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's the first I've heard of this. It says in, gen doesn't, in creation, it doesn't say that God created the animals for man to eat. It said God created the plants. I thought, oh, God's will must be that we're all vegans. I've been sinning my whole life. I grew up Tongan. I'll be disavowed if I could become a vegan. And so, and so for a couple of weeks, I was a vegan because I thought that's what the Word of God says. And then later on, I got to Genesis chapter 9. And in Genesis chapter 9, Noah and his family left the ark. And God said to him, you can now eat every moving thing. I was like, praise God. <laughs> and so, you see how our interpretation can skew things a little bit? Does that make sense? The issue is not God's word. The issue is our interpretation. But the word of God I can actually instruct us, it says, instruct us in righteousness. So what that means is it actually tells us what is right and wrong. Over the last few years, um, probably last 10 years actually, uh, I've been doing ethics um, intensives, ethics subjects at different um, Bible colleges around Australia. And initially when I did it, I thought, why am I getting me to do this? I didn't want to do it. It sounded too intense and too boring. But after doing it for a while, I realised it was really important because I realised so much of our modern generation is raised up without any absolutes. So what that means is we're raised up with any rights or wrongs. I know myself when I was at university, I did a Bachelor of Arts degree and one of my subjects was actually philosophy, which basically means you taught how to argue. And I didn't like philosophy, even though I wasn't a Christian at the time, I didn't like philosophy because there wasn't any absolutes. It was basically whoever had the best argument was actually right. There was no right or wrong, it was whoever had the best argument. But one of the things I've learned is this, that, that is not true, that there is absolute right and wrong, that actually, and we can find that in God's word. God's word can, is the ultimate umpire for morality, and it can tell us what is actually uh, right from wrong. Oh, one of the other things I've found is this, is that if God does give us a command, because sometimes in the scripture, the Bible says this is right and this is wrong, and, and sometimes... Uh, People say, well, I don't like that. That's too limiting for me. You know, God wants to take all of my fun. But the thing I've learned over the years is that's not actually the case. That, the re that God's a good God who's got good things for in our future. He's got good plans for our lives. And the reason why he actually gives commands is because he actually doesn't want to limit our life, but he wants to protect us so we can live the best life. That literally he can actually show us what is 
right and wrong. I, that's why I'm a firm believer and, if you, and for countries all around the world that were based on the word of God and Christian principles, they're often the most prosperous countries. They're the ones that are the best countries to live in. They're the countries that treat people the best. Why? Because it was founded on God's word and God's word tells us what's right or wrong. That's why it's so important that we still champion things like Christian education. That's why it's important that we still champion things like religious freedom because that is the foundation of actually our Christian society. We have a better society when we live according to God's word. Last year I was at a conference uh, with some pastors and they had a special guest there and he was a guy who was a Sky News political commentator. And so he would be on Sky News and, and he was uh, of the conservative side of politics. And so he was actually talking to us, a bunch of pastors. And he, was, he said this, he said, I'm not a Christian. He said, but I'm fighting for your religious freedom. He said, because all I've got to do is look through history and realise that the best societies were the ones that were founded on Christian values. Amen. I saw another political commentator get interviewed by a friend of mine. He said the exact same thing. He says, I'm here, I'm going to represent the church. He said, and I'm the best one to do it because I'm not a Christian. And he says, but one of the things I've learned is this, this the societies that were based on Christian values are the best societies to live in. So when God gives us a command about what's right or wrong, it's because his way is better. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. And God knows the best way for us to live. That's why I'm passionate about sharing with young adults as they grow and mature about what is right and wrong. Because we're told, well, whatever you think is right is right for you. Whatever you think is wrong is wrong for you. And there is an element of truth to that. But I'm here to let you know when you drill down to it, there are plenty of things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong. And the place where we find all of that is actually in God's Word. God's Word is the ultimate arbiter and instructor in righteousness. It's the ultimate arbiter in telling us what's right or wrong. And the last thing is this. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The fifth thing about the Word of God is that it's invaluable. It's invaluable. It's invaluable and indispensable for us to live the life that God actually has for us. What it's telling us here is this. It is impossible for us to fulfil our destiny without having the Word of God coming alive on the inside of us, that we actually can't do it alone, that the Word of God is necessary for us to fulfill the plan and purpose that God has for us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Jesus says, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We cannot live the victorious Christian life without having God's word in our lives as a regular part of what we do. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armour of God, and it talks about a helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of peace, shield of faith, And then it talks about the sword of the Spirit. So the whole armour is defensive except for one thing. What's the one thing? The sword of the Spirit. And then he defines what the sword of the Spirit is. It's the Word of God. And it's God's Word that is actually the only offensive weapon we have to beat back the attacks of the enemy. Even the shield of faith, it'll shrink without the Word of God. Bible says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we can only have faith 
if we allow us, if we spend time in God's word. We can only have the, live the advancing, victorious Christian life that he has for us if we spend time in God's word. That's why even just having the habit of God's word is really important. The Bible says in Psalm 1, it talks about uh, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. And then it says on his, wo- on his law, on his word, he meditates day or night. So the scripture tells us in Psalm 1 that we're actually, uh, we're blessed if we spend time in God's word on a daily basis. And then it says at the end of Psalm 1, it says this, and everything he does prospers. Did you see that? Who wants to live that prosperous, advancing Christian life while we spend time in God's Word on a regular basis? And there's times, you know, I know myself, there's times you get down and you feel like you don't have time and you spend time in God's Word and you're feeling a bit rushed. But the amount of times I've spent even just a few minutes in God's Word, I'm telling you, every single time God does something in my heart. For a number of years, I used to read four chapters of the Bible in order to complete the Bible in a year. And so I did that for a number of years. And then about 13 years ago, Felt God speak to me and he said, I want you to stop doing that now. Uh, he said, I want you to, because what I would do is read four chapters and then I'd journal on a verse. And then I felt, and then I felt God say, don't do that, uh, just journal on every verse. So I started from Genesis 1.1 and I would just read that verse and then journal on it, an application for my life. Now I remember thinking to myself, at some point, I'm going to have to skip over some scriptures. At some point, there's going to be the odd verse that you can't get anything out of. But I found time and time again, whenever I spent time in God's Word, there was always something that would just leap out. Now, sometimes you'd have to study it. Sometimes, rather than just reading it, you'd actually have to get some kind of supplementary study. I'd get a Bible dictionary out or a commentary or something like that. But every single time, it would happen. I remember one particular time I was reading, and it talked about Ishmael, so one of Abraham's sons. And in this passage, it said that Abraham had died And at his funeral were Isaac, his son of promise, and Ishmael, his other son. Now, Ishmael was was Abraham's son that God told him to leave behind. So he actually left, uh, so he actually got Ishmael when he was a teenager and um, Hagar, his mother, and sent them out of the house and he never saw them again the rest of his life. And so what happened was that um, at his, then we fast forward and this is his funeral. Now, you can imagine that when Abraham did that, he'd be thinking, he didn't want to do it because it was his son, he loved him. And he didn't want to do it because he just thought, this kid's going to hate me. You can imagine that. But we fast forward to his funeral. The verse I was up to, all the verse said was this, Ishmael's sons were with him and the names were, and I can't even remember them now, the names were such and such and such and such. That was the verse. I remember reading that and thinking, okay, I'm done. I can't journal on this one. There's nothing I can get out of this passage of Scripture. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get a Bible dictionary and I'm just going to read what the name meanings were. And then I read that one of Ishmael's sons, his name meant obedience. And as soon as I read that, it just went boom on the inside of me. And I realised, here is Abraham at his funeral. He had got rid of Ishmael and Hagar. He'd be thinking, this kid is going to hate me. And not only that, this kid is going to hate God. And yet here we are, we fast forward to his funeral and we see that Ishmael was there, so he didn't hate his dad and he named his own son obedience. So he got his own revelation of obedience as well. 
And then God spoke to me and told me to give that as a word to a friend of mine. And uh, I gave it to my friend and saying, you know, if you, as you're serving the Lord, don't worry about your kids. God will look after them. And when I sent it to him, right at that moment, he was sitting in a hotel room over in England. And he's thinking, why? He was on a mission, ministry trip. Why am I even doing this? Why am I out here? I should be home with my kids. He was feeling at a real low point and discouraged. And that prophecy came through. All from a verse that didn't make sense when I first read it. All scriptures useful. All of it. Some people say, God doesn't speak to me. He wrote a whole book. God didn't speak to me today. He will if you spend time in his word. God will speak to us every time we spend time in God's word. He is not silent. He has spoken. And so he will speak to us through it. You'll be amazed at the things that actually happen when you spend time in God's word. As I said to you before, he actually directs us in what is right and wrong. I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times when I've read the scripture and then I've realized, oh, I've just done something. I didn't realize that I'll get convicted. You know, um, sometimes when we, we get convicted and conviction is actually from God. Uh, now, the conviction is when you feel bad about something. And there's also another thing called condemnation. And condemnation is when you feel bad about something, but that's from the devil. So I've told you this before. The best way to discern the difference between the two is condemnation is when you feel bad about something that you used to do. And conviction is what you, when you feel bad about what you're still doing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so, and what had happened was I had, um, the, day before, the day before I read this passage of Scripture, I had to tell off a young man in our youth group because he was actually act, acting like a predator with the young ladies. And, and I found out he was trying to, you know, uh, was trying to have his way with them and that sort of thing. And so I called him in and I had a talk to him and, and I said, listen, mate, we have none of that in this youth group. If I ever hear of anything like this again, you're gone. And he said to me, and he, and he looked at me, he says, I don't care what you say, Pastor Ben, I'm still doing it. It was a high school. Well, when he said that, I lost my temper. And, uh, and I threatened him. Now, I won't say exactly what I said, but I said what probably any dad would say. <laughs> and I said, mate, if I see you do something like that again, I'm going to... Okay. And so, and I felt a lot better getting that off my chest, to be honest. Uh, the next day I was reading the scripture and it says, uh, and it said, leaders shouldn't threaten. <laughs> so I rang him up. I said, listen, mate, uh, about our conversation yesterday, I apologise apologize for what I said. I should not have said that. Now, I still stand by, you can't do what you've been doing, okay, and we will discipline you. I said, but I apologise for threatening you. And you know what he said to me? He goes, oh, that's good, Pastor Ben. He goes, you know, I was a bit disappointed in you. And before I lost my temper again, I said, okay, see ya, and hung up. <laughs> Worship team, come. <laughs> Just daily reading. Read that passage. God said what you did there was wrong. God's word. We cannot be thoroughly equipped for every good work without the word of God. This is not the kind of message you do an altar call for. Come forward if you haven't read your Bible in the last week. No, no. Um, but it is an encouragement because some of us have some holidays now. And maybe you've been really busy and maybe time in God's word has dropped off a little bit. What a great time when you've got a little bit more time to delve a bit more deeply, to start hearing God for things in 2020, for the things that are ahead. As you spend time in God's word, 
you'll be amazed at what he will show you and prepare you for actually in your future. Every so often, we just need to be recalibrated. I am sure that for almost everyone here, it's like you'd be thinking, okay, thanks, Pastor Ben, you're telling us to read our Bible. Duh. And we all know it. But the reality is sometimes one of these fundamental disciplines of the Christian life, it's not legalism. People say, oh, that's le-. It's not legalism, it's discipline. If you're a disciple, we have disciplines. There are some things that we just do as being living the Christian life. And you might find that over this next period of time, after hearing this today, you might think, you know what? It's actually been a while since I've read my Bible. I've been listening to some podcasts of some preachers. I've been reading some books about the Bible. But I actually haven't been reading the Bible much myself. I saw this interview with Billy Graham. And they said, what's your big regret in life? He said, my number one regret is that I spent more time reading books about the Bible and not spending time just in the Bible. And so maybe you're here and that has, you've, been, you've drifted. We all drift from time to time. What about over the next season? As God wants to speak to us, spend time with us, just spend a bit more time reading and spending time in God's Word. All Scripture is useful. And we are thoroughly equipped as we to become the Christian leaders and the Christians that God has called us to be as we spend time in his word. Just this week, I was down at the beach and uh, I was swimming between the flags. And after a while, I turned around and realised I was outside the flags. <laughs> so how did that happen? Well, there was a bit of a sweep. And I didn't even realise it. I didn't feel like I'd moved. But then I turned around and realised, oh, I'd forgot I'd moved. So I had to edge my way back, recalibrated myself. Maybe for some of us, that's all we've got to do. Maybe we've drifted and it's time to recalibrate. I just feel in my heart, it's almost like the Lord saying, he's looking forward to going on holidays with us. We're talking about the holidays we're going to have. I reckon he's saying, can't wait, as we spend time with him as well. Amen? So I want you to just stand to your feet right now and lift your hands to heaven. And we're going to sing, Jesus, what a beautiful name. He was the word from the beginning, amen? And we're going to sing, Jesus, you're a beautiful name. We're going to lift him up. And I feel for some of you, who's going away this week? You're going away on holidays this week. Awesome. Who's going away on the week after? Oh, okay, the rest of you don't have a life. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Graham. I heard that laugh. So I reckon, I just want to pray for you that over this next season, as things might get a bit quieter in your world, you'll be able to still yourself enough to hear God's voice. And the number way to hear God's voice is through God's Word. Amen. Lift your hands to heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, pray for everyone in this place. Ask and pray, Lord, you help us to hear your voice, to know your will and know your ways. Help us, Lord, as we spend time in your Word, as you direct and redirect us. We thank you for 2019, but we thank you for what's to come in 2020. And I thank you that for many, you're going to drop things in our heart to get us ready for it. I thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just keep your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're in this place and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Word became flesh. And that's talking about Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, took the punishment for our sin that we could be made right with God, and that He will come and live within us. And so if you're in this place and you haven't given your life to Christ, but you want to, What better time to do it than just before 2020? 
with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in this place and you haven't given your life to Christ, but you want to, if that's you just right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me this morning. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to give my life to Him. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me this morning. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to have a relationship with God. Church, would you lift your hands to heaven? Let's worship Him in this place. He's an awesome God.